Welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. In this episode, David and Nick return to the Batcave, place our bets on the Hulk and Wolverine fight, mourn the end of Snyder's run, welcome Fish permanently, and Yes, welcome everybody, welcome to the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. Yes, yes. Welcome, I am David and that is Nick. Hello David, I feel like these voices would be better on Halloween. It's not Halloween? It's not Halloween. Well, crap, I gotta... It's about as much Halloween as it is us finishing that Constantine challenge. I gotta change that calendar on the wall. Also, I'm gonna completely ignore that comment (laughs) and move on with my life. Someday. Yes, someday. Hey, Nick, when are you seeing Deadpool? I'm seeing it on Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah, I got tickets for like the first showing in the morning, and I'm expecting it to be quite the date mover. No, I'm not. I'm expecting to come out feeling very weird and not at all Valentine's Day. Is your uh, fiance going with you? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be a weird Valentine's Day if she wasn't there. Oh um, man, you're, she's going, you're... and then uh, her um, sister and her boyfriend are coming along, and then uh, just to make it awkward in the fifth wheel situation, I invited Andrew. So excellent. So, yeah, yeah. I keep trying to find like I keep asking one of my work friends to be like, "Hey, can you come and just be like the six wheel, just so at the very least, like he's not the only single person there." And the guy's like, "Hell no." Uh, it's mean, it's, because, totally it's because you're phrasing it as, "Oh, hey, can you come be Andrew's date?" Oh, I didn't say it quite like that. I I just meant more that like there'd be two single guys that's, instead of one single guy. That's pretty much how you phrased it, though, right? I mean, bro. Okay, I didn't phrase it like that initially, but then he definitely got that vibe, and then I basically <laughs> said, "Yeah, that's pretty much what I want." So uh, that didn't that didn't work out too well. It rarely does. Uh, so <sighs> other than that, though, I kind of forget where we started with this whole thing. I asked you when you were seeing Deadpool. Oh yeah, okay. So I'm seeing it on the 14th. Cool. Right, when are you seeing Deadpool? I don't know yet. We got to figure it out. I probably on Saturday at some time. Yeah. Yeah. I really want to seize it. I mean, you probably want to get your tickets. I'm not saying it's going to sell out, but you might want to get... Uh, Does your theater do assigned seating? Uh, We do have a new one downtown that does, which I think is where we're going to go see it. Yeah, that's honestly... For Batman v Superman, I plan on seeing an IMAX, which is unfortunately not assigned seating. Right. We we, we have like a faux IMAX here. We have we have one of the biggest IMAX screens on the East Coast. Yeah, one of the biggest IMAX screens on the East Coast. Um, and uh, but for Deadpool, I was like, we had a gift card. I was like, let's just go this one. It's a signed seating. We don't have to stand in line for two hours. We just show up. Which I wish everything was a signed seating because like if you're smart enough to, and fast enough to get your tickets early, that just seems worth it. Yeah, it really it really is great. And I love the idea of having a beer with my movie, especially Deadpool. Feels like it needs it. Sounds like a good beer movie. Yeah, yeah. But it's like still a, kind of expensive here, the assigned seating. 
Yeah. Okay. This is what's ridiculous. I, it's not. I don't know if like you're gonna go see it in like the faux IMAX setup, but no. This. I mean, the screens at this theater are, you know, they're deep, they're good. Like, it's a good theater. They have those mm-hmm. new seating where, like, the chairs recline and all that, which is cool. Um, but the tickets for Deadpool were, like, five-something on, like, a Sunday. Five-something? Like, $5, like, $5.30. That's so cheap. I, and I don't get it. Like, I literally looked at a similar showtime at another theater, like, right down the street from this one. And they were at, like, you know, 11 bucks. I don't mm. know why this theater is selling showings at such a cheap price it's because they're black market showings i mean it very well could be i didn't question i was like that's five dollars and thirty cents right now i'll take two like let me look because it was like thirteen dollars a ticket yeah and i'm trying to see uh where is where is deadpool where is my mind? Wait, do they, are they not having it at the other theater? So we have like two theaters here, which are run by two different companies. Uh-huh. And uh, so we have like a Regal and then this other one, like Royal Crown. There's not a lot of them around. But Regal like keeps trying to get exclusive rights to stuff. Mm-hmm. And apparently the theater companies don't like that and like keep shutting them down. <laughs> so like they never got Star Wars. Wow. Star Wars only showed in the downtown theater here, and it looks like Deadpool's not playing either, which means I'm completely trapped at this other $13 theater. But just like to be curious, if I wanted to go see Zoolander 2 for some reason, uh, which I am interested, but seeing the reviews, I will wait for the DVD release. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's not that much more expensive. E- either way, what I'm trying to say is movies be expensive, yo. Movies be expensive. I don't know how I looked out, but I'm not questioning it. I'm like almost convinced that it's a mistake. What? Your five dollar. I checked it again, like a couple days later, just to see. Oh, or when I, I are you sure it wasn't a, like the world's lamest dream? No, I mean I I physically have tickets because we went to see Star Wars again last weekend, uh-huh. and um. I think the tickets were pretty cheap for Star Wars too, but um, I mean, they when I bought the tickets, they printed up my Deadpool tickets because I used the same card and or like whatever the gift card, and I was like, oh, here they are. They say five dollars thirty cents. That's crazy. Are you sure it's not like how much is left on the gift card? No, I'm like ninety four percent sure. Are you Nick? Are you sure of anything in this world? Not really. Life has a way of constantly making you question the reality around you yeah that's true i've been listening to a lot of uh welcome to night vale lately have you heard of that nope. podcast it's like a, it's a fiction podcast and of like this little desert town and everything's weird and crazy and like it's it's fun but there's times where i can totally predict like what they're gonna say and it's i don't know it's like not as uh when they're like Ooh, like the public library, and they start getting like how the public library is all weird and crazy, and then they'll make some comment, and I, I will sometimes just like say the words they're about to say. It's like, oh, it's kind of sad when I can predict what crazy thing they're gonna tell me next. Crazy, crazy thing. Uh, you know what's not crazy though? What is comics? To the Batmobile. Let's go. That's a lie. Comics are super crazy. They are typically cray-cray. Actually, yeah. I feel like if a comic isn't cray-cray, it's not a comic. A cray comic. I don't think that's a genre. 
Cray Comics. It's like a new thing. Is that is that like our the comic company we're gonna start? It's gonna be Cray Comics. I think it should be. It's a terrible okay. idea. Cray Comics. Comics so cray, you'll say yay. Oh man. Well, so this I've has been the Heck Yeah Comics podcast, everybody. <laughs> we are shutting it down. <laughs> uh, what did you read, Nick? What did you so... read? So. I read, uh, I mean, you and I read a couple books together at the same time, or none of, that, none of those statements are true or were. You and I both read a couple of the same books. We could have read books at the same time and not we, known. We probably were. We, knowing us and the amount we consume comics, we were pr- most likely reading comics at the same time. That's true. Maybe not the same comics, but comics. Right. Um, so one comic I read that I know you didn't read was called The Dark and the Bloody Number One. This is true. I did not consume that one. I and for the period of like twenty so pages, it was dark, not as bloody as you would think. Mm, false advertising. False. Yeah, it's actually for now. Here's one of the things that kind of, the cover is very creepy. It's like a guy, some like bearded guy, like he's got feathers in his mouth and is covered in blood, and he's holding a bottle of which I think is supposed to be moonshine, and there's right. like a blood skull dripping into it. Blood skull. Uh, so it's a pretty creepy cover. Now, the artist, and I think the artist for the cover is different than the artist on the inside, but the artist on the inside is Scott Godaleski from Copperhead. Right. So that was obviously what drew me to the comic in the first place. Um, it is, it's for a supposed like horror comic, th- horror, thriller, supernatural type deal comic, it was fairly toned down book. for the, the first issue. Um, it wasn't like... It didn't just like ramp up like the gore or the creep factor right away. It actually spent its time um, letting you get to know the main character. Um, oh yeah, I remember, I remember this uh, this cover. Yeah, that particular, yeah that cover. I'm trying just pulling his name. Tyler Crook. Up. Tyler Crook. Uh, the art the not the artist the cover artist is Tyler Crook. No, I know the character. In the comic is uh, his first name's Iris. I'm like blanking on his his last name for a second, um, but he basically like it is actually it was a really cool opening. So he's like a boy. He's walking towards the lake and he's carrying this like bag of like you don't know what it is. And then you're reading the captions and he's basically like I he's like I learned how to kill before I learned how to love. Hmm. Um, and basically what happened was their the family dog got knocked up by a coyote. And had a bunch, like a litter of half coyote pups. And his dad basically said, you're going to take this sack of coyote pups and go drown them in the lake. Um, because like we, we can't, we can barely feed ourselves, let alone a pack of animals and coyotes are too much trouble anyway. So that's just an extra headache. It's true. So, so, he, so it was actually, it was kind of like a really good opening as far as like for the, you know, you don't know if you should be worried. Like, is this kid going to turn into like a serial killer or like, is it just like a sad sort of like, you know, this poor kid having to go, having to do something that I would find traumatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it cuts, he basically ends up in the military, goes overseas, fights in the wars. Uh, and then basically comes back home to the South where he basically makes moonshine in his backyard and sells to the local drunks. That basically catches you up on him. I won't go into too many details. Uh, some supernatural shenanigans like there's clear this it's like a monster there's clear this monster that's there um that might be tied to a new friend that his son the main character's son hangs out with uh-huh. um but as far as like i didn't feel overly creeped out like the like these two drunk guys got attacked and i was like oh well they got attacked but i wasn't like Ugh. um it's it's almost like 
it's not going to be a <clears throat> like it's a super supernatural mystery thriller or whatever but i don't think it's going to lean too heavily into like the blood and gore side of like horror thriller you know uh-huh. uh and at the same time scott godless's art while amazing like, i'm a huge fan of his work uh, on one hand i feel like the, the while the, the work was detailed this, this feels like something that he is working on in between um copperhead mm-hmm. like i felt like there wasn't as many details as things that the, the line work was um a little more understated um you know and, and and that could be just because it sounds like he's juggling two art projects at once um but it was still good artwork but at the same time i don't think of sort of horror thriller when i think of scott godaleski so as far as first issues go there was a, the 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 um the, the captions, the dialogue, the characters, there's enough there that definitely got me intrigued and the art was very good. So I do think I'm going to come back for the next issue. Uh, um, hold on, slight correction. The opening line is, I knew how to kill before I knew how to kiss. Oh, I'm sorry. And uh, yes, you're correct. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, it was a good first issue. I recommend that people check it out. Uh, I think hard to say for sure you know obviously it might not stick the landing i think it's only going to be a few issues long like six issues tops maybe I, i'm not 100 percent sure um but i mean as far as first issues go like you know and and we always talk about how hard first issues can be at like sticking the landing uh mm-hmm. this one done got stuck got stuck done gun it, it was good david what'd you cool. read uh i read a few things this week um which is great because I didn't think I was going to have time to read anything with how my day was going. Uh, but I was able to read uh, something that you did not read, which was Descender. Uh, I'm pretty sure you are actually behind on that book. I am, but, you know, go ahead. Uh, hold on. Let me find my copy. I moved some stuff around before the show. Um, oh, I also got a, the latest Manhattan Projects today. Mm-hmm. which I'm like super behind on reading and I didn't realize how behind I am because this last issue was supposed to come out last May and just came out today uh, and I didn't even notice because I'm still behind on that book. Anyway, what I read uh, this week was Descender number 10, uh, which I'm not sure if that is the end of the second arc. It kind of feels like it is. I think they're they're doing like five issue segments, right? Um, to catch up, you know, there's a lot has happened in this book at this point. There's this kid robot Tim Twenty One, uh, who is trying to find his brother, who is a human uh, named Andy, and really, while that's his main objective, he keeps kind of getting pulled around by other people. Uh, there's these military folks who want him and have found him uh, and now have gotten swept up as this colony of robots have come in and taken Tim 21, uh, this woman named Telsa and Dr. Kwan, and they have taken them to the machine moon, which is where the robots live in their nice little peaceful colony. Uh, And we get to see that in this issue. There's also Tim 22, I'm pretty sure it's Tim 22. Yeah, another so. another uh, Tim bot. Uh, and meanwhile, Andy, who is now an adult, uh, is also searching for Tim 21 and uh, is, is going about it his own way. 
and that leads him to an interesting place, which I will get to in a minute, which I think was was pretty cool. Um, I really liked this issue. There is this whole air of uncertainty in it uh, because the you know the the robots are very secretive. I forget what like their group, their organization is called. Um, because I'm consuming mass amounts of media at all time, and it is really hard. The Hardwire is what they're called, uh, which is a, a pretty cool name. Um, so the Hardwire, you know, has brought humans to the machine moon, and they're pretty secretive. So the uncertainty for uh, Telsa and Quan is like, can we trust them? And Quan's like, oh no, they're totally cool, like no big deal. And Telsa's like, they're obviously going to kill us. Uh, and really sort of like highlights the difference in these two characters. We get a little bit more into Telsa, which is which is pretty cool. I like her as a character. Um, she like kind of she has like this chip on her shoulder, and she really has to try to prove herself, but not because she's a woman. And I'm glad we're not going with that stereotype, but it's because like her father is really important in the military. So she's like had to work for a lot and earn like earned it herself. Uh, even like more so than anyone else, uh, without, I mean, that is, there is still a lot of cliche in that, but you know, every story in the world has been told. It's totally fine. I've really enjoyed the interactions between Tim 21 and Tim 22 to see how different they are. Cause I think they want you to think that Tim 21 is more human, uh, where Tim 22 is like they both know they're robots there's been some really great conversations between the two of them where they're like oh what's your favorite color oh mine is red what is you know which it was programmed to be what's yours well mine changed to blue because that's andy's like they are very aware they are robots and so they have some very interesting interactions um and it does, but it doesn't feel like mechanical. Like they still have natural flowing dialogue, mm -hmm. uh, which is really nice. And one thing I really liked in this issue is uh, Andy, and I won't give away some secrets Andy of Andy. Andy Tuna. Sorry, it's an Office reference. Uh, I just watched the last episode of The Office today. Debbie got to the last episode, and I stopped watching it way before then. But I'm like, I'll watch the final one. It was okay. <laughs> it was. I mean, it was. It was good. I wasn't watching it all up to that point, so I didn't have like the emotional attachment. Because the last twenty minutes is just everyone in the office being like, "Oh, this is the best. The office is the best." Oh, uh, and I really there was like some line where someone was like, "How'd you make it? Like, how did you do it? How'd you portray what it was like to work in an office?" And I'm like, "The show is never what it was like to work in an office at all. These people <laughs> cared about each other way too much." Anyway, Descender. Uh, Andy ends up going to these this group of people who, very ambiguous, is our first introduction, uh, but they call themselves the Between. And they are human with robotic enhancements? So, cyborgs? Yeah. Uh, well, they call themselves the Between. But uh, like this one guy says, you brought, you brought us to a Twibbon cyborg cult? Uh, and it's obviously like very, you know, with the stigma against mechanical beings, like this is a, an abomination to be a cyborg, you know, very willingly. And these people are, you know, it's referred to as a cult. Like there might be some like whole religious ideology behind it. We just get a very brief introduction to them. Uh, like they, um, Andy calls one of them by Effie 
And she says, I told you not to call me, or I told you I will not respond to my flesh name anymore. If you want to talk to me, you call me by my artificial name, uh, which is Queen of the, or Queen Between, is what she calls herself. Queen Between. So they're obviously, uh, this is obviously a big uh, metaphor for drag culture. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's just a very, like, I, I want them to dig into that so much more. Um, it's very cool. I don't know how long like Descender is going to run. You know, this main storyline is going to run out of steam eventually. And they set up like kind of the big uh, gambit, I guess, like the whole idea of where this is all leading to. Uh, and I won't spoil that for you, Nick, because you haven't gotten to that point yet. Um, I don't want to say it's it's like earth shattering it you know it kind of makes sense when you get to that moment but it's still like oh that's really cool how do we get there i want to know about mm. it uh so I'm, I'm i'm definitely still driving on this book i think it still uh still deserves all the love that it gets and all the all the praise so that's uh that's descender number 10 <sighs> works for me i definitely yeah, I just got to catch up. I mean, I'm only a couple issues behind, I think. Yeah, no, it's it's super good. There was a couple issues a while, or eh, not a while ago, like maybe two or three ago, where it I was a little more lukewarm on it. Uh, but right now, I'm like, I'm super jazzed. You know, whatever, they're, whatever they've been doing the last couple issues has really gotten me warmed back up. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, yeah, let's let's get going. Let's like, let's get more of this right now. So I'm going to go break into Jeff Lemire's house and make him tell me what happens. Works for me. Yeah. Well, Nick, now do we want to talk about the Batman? The Batman. Oh, yeah, we can definitely talk about it. So Batman 49 came out this week. Batman numero 49-0. And uh, oh, boy. Oh, boy. What an issue. Let me... It was it was good. It's I certainly I'm not gonna be like a negative ninny about it because like in the reading of it, I enjoyed it for what it it was. Um, it's really less an indictment of the book and more I think just like because the end result was always that Bruce was going to come back. It how am I trying to say this? It. I don't really know what I'm trying to say. I guess I don't really have an indictment for it. Um, the artwork by Yannick Paquette was really good. Um, uh, I imagine at this point he's been long done with Wonder Woman Earth One. Um, God, so it's nice that he had time to, to kind of put in a stint on an issue. I, I mentioned to you earlier today that I was like, as, as much as I enjoyed Yannick Paquette's artwork on this, I really wish that Capullo had been able to do it. Yeah, I really felt like Capullo could have taken this to a whole different level of just making it a little more ethereal, making it a little more weird, mm-hmm. uh, which with everything that was happening, like really could have used the weird. Yeah, it, it, it. I mean, on one hand, like maybe the dream sequences, whatever you want to call them, maybe were. I mean, I think Kapoor would have done a really good job on, would maybe have been better served if that, if Unique Paquette was just doing those to show like a juxtaposition between right, that this would is have like been. a fantasy and this is the real world and Kapoor was handling the real world stuff. That would have been interesting. Um, that would have been cool. Um, but at the same time, like the, 
the art style, I, I, and I'm like not going to bother to go back and look. I felt like maybe the colorist was different too than the usual palette, but I, I could he may have just been doing a different uh, setup. Let me see. I think you might be right, actually. Let me see if I can um, find it. Artist colors, yeah, color was uh, someone else. So um, I feel like what am I trying to say? You know, I, I think it, the issue would have been better served with having Caputo to keep that sort of artistic continuity. Um, phone. Um, but other than that, like, the issue was good. I did enjoy the fantasy world that they briefly set up. And I guess just because, like, we're only getting one issue of that, and then it, <laughs> it was quickly thrown away. What, what just uh, happened? Uh, I don't know. My chair does this thing where it, like, when I lean back, it... Uh, Oh, good like, lord. Like, is... It, like, sticks, and then it doesn't stick, and I fall. What is going on over there? How far back can I go? Okay. I'm not going to test it. Anyway, um, I, I I feel like sometimes these worlds come up during issues like this where characters are, like, experiencing some sort of crisis of rebirth or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, but that was actually kind of cool. And, like, this is the only time we're going to see it. That was a legit cool white Batman suit. Yeah, that was and really I, interesting. I loved that, like, Joe Chill was, like, his mechanic or whatever. Yeah. I thought that was cool. Um, and then just obviously seeing him happy with Julia and all that um, was really cool. But, yeah, I just felt like it – that last page was cool. But I just – again, I think I, I'm just hung up on the, the fact that it wasn't Capullo. But for what it was, it was still really well done. And I don't actually remember getting to the end of the issue and being like, man, Snyder didn't shut up. Yeah, I was going to say there was not a lot of speeches. I thought you'd be happy about that. I was happy about that. Um, yeah, I'm, when when I finished it, I, I texted you and my immediate thoughts were like, this is a Grant Morrison issue. Because uh, it's very Morrison in its concepts. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I love, and, and not everyone does, but... I love Grant Morrison for how willing he is to get weird with superhero books. And even though like he'll try to like come up with scientific explanations and go into like all this crazy detail, he doesn't like try to make it real science. He's willing for it to be just super bizarre, hypothetical, philosophical silent like science. Mm-hmm. Like the whole idea here is uh we have to kill the brain of Bruce Wayne. Like it's, it's so metaphorical, you know, we have to kill the brain of Bruce Wayne because Bruce Wayne has to die because so there, Batman there is no Bruce Wayne. There's Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it was a very cool concept. It's something that I was willing to just, just go with no matter how ridiculously crazy it is. Uh, this particular sequence near the beginning uh, where, you know, it's like 30 minutes ago and it shows Bruce and Alfred talking before they go into the cave, uh, I thought was really, really powerful uh, where, you know, you have uh, Bruce Wayne's trying to say, I know I'm Batman, like, let's do this. And Alfred's not letting him. Uh, and so he says some stuff there that I just thought was uh, just really great. Where Okay, yeah. Like, Alfred straight up says, I beg you, my son. Uh, which, like, that's, you know, we know that's how Alfred feels about him, but, dude, that's powerful stuff. Um, and eventually, you know, he, he concedes because he knows, 
you know, like this, this issue is heartbreaking. And I talked about on an episode that we recorded that got lost, uh, where I was like, really, like, for me, the heartbreak was going to be, uh, Julie and how she was going to handle all of this because anytime Bruce is very expressive in his emotions for her, she doesn't really return it. Mm -hmm. um, like she knew it was coming. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, this issue straight up has her saying like, I know I've always known that Bruce was Batman, obviously come on people who hasn't figured that out by now. Um, but even in this, he, he says the words to her that I love you. And her response is goodbye, Bruce, you know, with like tears in her eyes. Like, yeah, obviously she loves him, but she knew what, what always was coming and that even if she does love him, like saying that's not going to change it. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought her and Alfred were both just very, just very heartbreaking. And it was really like emotionally gut wrenching at parts, um, you know, as crazy and, and Morrison esque as it was. Uh, I thought, you know, the, the art was very serviceable. It was very good. Um, not anything to write home about. But it, it does have me excited, you know, where, where I thought last issue was a lot of like spinning the wheels, kind of stalling. I thought this issue was going to feel kind of more of the same, mm -hmm. uh, but it really didn't. And I, I really, I really like it for what it was like. This could have easily been something that, you know, they, they, they could have had the issue where Bruce Wayne comes back as Batman and then, you know, cut cut to this issue to like, all right, now that we had that reveal, like let's fill in this gap. Um, but instead like, no, 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 we want to, we want to take the time to actually like tell this in chronological order. And I thought it, it worked really well. It's, it's a really great part of the, the story. Um, I can't wait for issue 50 and then issue 51, which will talk a little bit more about that. Heartbreaking in its own way. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. The relationship with Julie was one that, on one hand, I liked it the most. Well, I mean, I liked the Jim Gordon as Batman story a lot. Um, and I'm a little sad still that it feels like Jim Bat is not going to get his glory moment. It's going to be shortchanged to bring Bruce back, which is the same complaint I had about Superior Spider-Man. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think we got to read, and I'm saying this because I've been purchasing it for a while and not reading it, uh, Detective Comics, because I think they do a lot of cert, like justice to Jim Bat in there. Well, they do. It's not so much that the justice, but because this super heavy story and like is like the quintessential like main Jim Bat story. Like everything else is kind of ancillary. Um, it feels like you know he's basically the damsel in distress right now, and Bruce is going to come swing in and save him. Maybe they'll do a punch up together, but it's not Jim's win. Like Jim basically kept the seat warm while Bruce was, you know, kind of just hanging with Julie. Um, and I really like Julia as a character. I really like her from those Matt Wagner Batman books that I've told you to read a million times. Um, and I did like the fact that they had this relationship. I like that she was kind of like where Bruce could go to be normal, um, so mm. to speak. Um, and on one hand, like I think there were certain scenes like knowing that Julia was kind of keeping a certain level of distance between her and Bruce because she felt it was inevitable, which I think this final scene with her uh, definitely confirmed that plot point. But at the same time, because there's been so much going on in the story, I feel like, for me, the Alfred stuff was definitely gut-wrenching. I think Snyder mm -hmm. really, and, and Capullo, 
really pulled that aspect off. I didn't feel as much pain of of pain um, with the whole Julie thing. I understood it, I th- but I didn't. It didn't like really dig deep into me that like he was losing something essential. I think I, I think that that the outcome of that is something that has still yet to be seen. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I don't. I don't imagine that they'll be. They'll stay in a relationship. You know, now that yeah. he's back as Batman. But I mean, how is he going to deal with the fact that she knows? Obviously, he has to kill her. Yeah, well, I mean, that'll be interesting on one hand that he probably won't pursue a relationship with her, but she will be a character that is in the know. Right. Well, and there was, like, speaking of killing, where's that, that little speech he gives? Um, okay, yeah. <laughs> Listen to me, damn it. You said it yourself. He never ran the simulations past brain death because Batman doesn't kill. But the most receptive brain would be fully blank, no self inside. He doesn't kill, but he does. He has to. For Batman to live, Bruce Wayne always has to die. Like, that is... I'm pretty sure Scott Snyder was like, Hey, Grant, uh, I got this got this line here. I don't really know how to, how to go with it. And Grant Morrison just, like, started talking. And probably, like, every third sentence, he was able to pull something cohesive out of there. Because <laughs> if you ever hear Grant Morrison talk... Like what the crap, man? What the crap? It's mostly it, it's mostly the Irish accent. It it was definitely a melodramatic line, and it works. And I, it does. I did, it it does. It's it's superhero-y as all hell. I did like that idea uh, that Alfred like didn't want to do it because even though like we were really dealing with like a metaphysical concept, he was to be like I would be Joe Chill, like I would be the same person right. that hurt you the first time, so to speak. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can't hurt you on the level that these people did. Yeah. Yeah. Man. That was that was good stuff. But now issue number fifty, it's gonna be balls to the wall crazy. Uh I'm like really curious how it's all gonna wrap up. It's obviously gonna wrap up in a way that Batman is you know, he's back. This 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 Bruce Wayne that has come out of the rebirthing chamber or whatever is basically the Batman, the Bruce Wayne as he was right before the end of Endgame. Yeah, that was a nice little way to to wrap that all up. You know, so he he basically rebooted his mind. Up, it's like a, he had a backup of his mind, which I, I had mentioned was a very similar concept that Matt Fraction and Salvador La Roca used in their Invincible Iron Man run, which I thought was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a way, this gives you like the Batman as he always was. But obviously, things a lot of things have changed, so it'll be interesting to see how this Batman deals with things that have changed. Because he's basically like he woke up out of a coma. Right, a right. This allows them to pick up right where they left off. The interesting thing will will be to see if they how they treat this his time as Bruce Wayne because it will feel a little disingenuous if they just write it off and we're like, yep, uh, Batman is back and nope, that time just happened and whatever, we're over it. It's like that time was significant, you know. It needs to have a significance. That... And that's you know using Superior Spider Man just because I feel like they like it really worked as a, a very similar approach that it was such different alternative versions of the characters you know what i've liked about that is that in the wake of superior spider-man like peter has maintained the company that doc arc started like a lot of elements that were set up because of superior spider-man have stayed and progressed uh with peter parker back in the webs so i agree with you i want the stuff like the 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 kid center or what's jim bat you know jim bat has reached such a particular level like is he just is he really just going to go back to being you know um 
I don't think I think they're probably gonna keep Sawyer around as the commissioner, which is cool. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I like her as a character. I do feel um, like Jim Bat's not done yet. He might not be done, done, but but I, I mean, like he, but it's sort of like Jim Bat didn't want to be <laughs> Jim Bat. Jim Gordon didn't necessarily want to be Batman in the first place, but he saw it as a responsibility he needed to take on for however long. Uh-huh. Um, and maybe to some extent he's enjoyed it and to other extents, like the superhero life isn't something he's going to want to pursue long term. But then if he doesn't pursue it long term, where is he going to go from there? If he's not going to return his commissioner, he's not just going to become a beat cop. You know how, what, what kind of, what basically what's his next job? What's his, what's, what career is he going to take on next? Uh, and it'll just be interesting to see what's interesting is you'll find out listeners when we get to the new discussion. I think we can continue this a little bit more if mm-hmm. we want to speculate. Now, which uh, which Batman world do you want to see more of? Well, I want to see more of the, the white suit Batman. Yeah. Uh, I, for sure. I didn't notice that when he's like, we'll be here, we'll be safe here, my Batman. It's uh, Poison Ivy, Two-Face, Penguin. Uh, but I definitely, personally, I want to see more of uh, Detective Wayne... And, you know, Mr. Gordon, Batman. That was very interesting to me. I'm pretty sure if you if you look really closely, it looks like uh, that um, Mr. Mr. Gordon, Batman, has a mustache. Yep, and it says GCPD on his bat symbol. See, um, I, I, I wish I could tell in... Because there's some of the, the images. There's one Batman in... Oh, I guess the... the the one where he says, uh, we'll be safe here, my Batman. There's another circle that's related to that where they're all dead, I think. And then, yeah, and then there's another circle that shows um, the the Mr. Gordon Batman, the, them being killed. Yeah. But I'm just, just looking here. I mean, the one I definitely want to see the most is the white suit Batman. I just thought was the suit was... It was really a really cool. cool design. It was an interesting design. I liked how, like... Um, what was I trying to say? That like the, he worked for the court, like the corporate owls worked for him, and he had his own army of talons, and, and things like, got out of hand. Wayne Manor was on top of Wayne Tower. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, yeah. So Batman forty nine. Let's talk a bit about uh, Old Man Logan number two. Old Man Logan. Yeah. So Old Man's Logan's mission. Which I mentioned with the first issue was kind of futile because that means he'd have to kill characters that are typically integral to the ongoing publishing initiatives of Marvel Comics. Uh, this issue kind of highlights that, and I'm really curious. It, it sort of fuels my curiosity of what the end result of either this series or this character's time in the main Marvel universe is going to be. It was simply, hey, at least we get to have a Wolverine. Then I'm like, okay, that's cool. Um, his mission statement is um, a compelling one, but if the end result is that the only person he's actually going to end up killing is the butcher, right? Then it's kind a of character like, created and killed in one book. In one book, then like it, then the stakes don't feel as as relevant because I know like I've been reading Uncanny Avengers, the newest volume, and they're hunting down the Red Skull in that book. So unless there's going to be like a crossover somewhere down the line, um, you know, I, I feel like none of these people that he's targeting are his to kill. So 
at the end of his, at the end of the day, his mission is going to be futile because he's not going to be able to kill any of these people. Maybe he'll kill Mysterio, who actually popped up in Spider-Man Deadpool. Did he uh, really? Two. He did. Yeah. We don't have to get into that. Um, what am I trying to say? So that was that. But in the meantime, we get to enjoy really cool Andrea Sorrentino artwork. And, oh yes. And that this issue had that in spades. Mm-hmm. No, I really, uh, I'm working on writing a review for matrixspoilers.com of <clears throat> old man Logan number two. Uh, and I'm definitely going to highlight Sorrentino's art. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. I still think it's, you know, it doesn't quite fit into the bright, <clears throat> like the bright and beautiful, typical Marvel world, but you know, they continue to make it work. Um, Man, I don't know why my throat is so dry and scratchy. You're a dry and scratchy person. Uh, this water break brought to you by Front Aquasana. Michigan. Um, <clears throat> oh, boy. Uh, what was I going to say about Andrea Sorrentino's art? Oh, some of the panel layouts they got really creative with in the beginning and in the end. And I kind of wish they had done that more. Like there's the one where there's the the redneck hulks and they're you know punching the cow apart and that that's sad and disgusting. But then all the panels on the bottom are in the outline of cows. Uh, and then when he's breaking into uh, Hawkeye's apartment, all of them are you know in circles, kind of uh, shaped like targets. And uh, then like the panels when he's interacting with Lucky are all in the shape of a dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, those are just really cool. I really like moments like that. Um, but the fight was so awesome. Uh, I love when they get to like that abandoned building and there's like a moment where Hulk kicks him through the building. Uh, and they do this really great thing where there's like, they, they have, they show the building in full, but they have those three panel inserts that highlight where he goes through. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's just so, so very well done. That was definitely like that page of him being kicked through the building was my like my oh yeah moment. Did you all? But uh, was the moment you were talking about was the kachoom moment? Uh, no, I was referring. I think when I texted you about it uh, was the scene of him being kicked through the building. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty awesome. Um, one thing I really like on like the Lemire side of all this is that we have like this is a a, a seasoned veteran uh, of of this world. Like a guy who has fought Hulk literally since his birth in the universe, uh, you know he's fought Hulk in so many different iterations that this is a guy now who has done it and knows like how to strike, even if taking on the Hulk is a really bad idea. Um, but like you know he like he goes for the leg to try and cripple him, and then he you know knows that that's not going to work. Like I have to try this. Like he he's going at it with strategy instead of just like I'm going to blindly strike at your chest. Um, there was one thing where he seems confused by the fact that this isn't Bruce Banner, but they're also kind of building up that this is his world before the villain uprising. So does that mean that before Logan comes back as a young man, Amadeus Cho is no longer Hulk or is this not his world or did he just somehow never cross paths with Hulk. Also, does Amadeus Cho know where Bruce Banner is? You kind of got that vibe, but obviously right. under the circumstances, he wasn't going to tell well, yeah, anything, yeah, yeah. whether he knew it or not. Um, 
so that so that's definitely something that will be revealed in the Totally Awesome Hulk book, which is totally awesome. Um, well, and that's what Totally Awesome Hulk and the uh, young or the old Wolverine, what does he call it? Uh, Crotch the old Wolverine and Totally Awesome New Hulk team up. <laughs> which I, I think Jeff Lemire definitely captured Amadeus's tone uh, and, and uh, demeanor uh, pretty well in this one issue. I mean, it basically kind of amounted to uh, it kind of got Wolverine to the next step. So, I mean, it's possible that in future issues, he we might come back around to the Hulk problem in Logan's mind mm-hmm. uh, and revisit it. Because obviously by the end of the issue, it was like, well, that didn't go according to plan. Um, now I need, now I'm going to go check on Hawkeye. And that's not going to go according to plan because who's this person? And then... Right. Um, oh, and, and one thing that they're setting up... Uh, sorry, real quick, I'll let you finish that thought. That but cool. they, they keep having opportunities for him to flash back to the wasteland. Uh, so for people who are flash forward to the wasteland, so like new readers, they're making it super accessible and, and rehashing parts of the story, which I think is totally cool and awesome. But like for people who are really familiar with the story, it's kind of like, yep, mm-hmm. we know, we know these people like the, they're, they, the, the one in the first issue added this new dimension with the butcher, but I thought this one with the Hulks didn't really add anything new. It was just like a contextual thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the case for both of them. I agree with you. At the same time, I've actually been enjoying them because right. it does give you more. Yeah, I'm not saying you can enjoy them, even right. just even with your your um hatred, your points, your hatred, your, your undying hatred for My them. Stephanie um, Brown level anger. <laughs> um, but at the same time, like it definitely gives you know when when you read the original Old Man Logan story, he's. You know, you're basically seeing like just at the very end, right before like he goes off on the adventure, and it's kind of in a way they do hammer home the point, like yeah, he opted to do nothing all these times. Um, but I guess that the the way he's contextualizing Lemire and Sorrentino, contextualizing them or setting the, the scenes, makes them enjoyable to read. I guess it's all in the execution, but yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's funny. My original impression of the old man Logan Ryan for the longest time, it was like yeah, like he. You know he's old and he, you know he fights the Hulk. Uh, that's one issue. Most of the story is him not trying to get into a fight, while Hawkeye is a dick mm-hmm. and blind. I think another thing that's interesting is at the end of the original Old Man Logan story, he walks into the sunset carrying a Hulk baby. Uh huh. And I know, in when. When Mark Millar was doing this, he was also on Fantastic Four, and he had this team of superhero characters that were like um, X number of years in the future from the present day, which includes post-Old Man Logan time. Uh-huh. And there was a Hulk character, and there was a character that ended up being Wolverine. And you, you kind of find out that like this was set even past Old Man Logan's time, so the Hulk was the baby Hulk grown up, and the, and the other was the same Old Man Logan Wolverine. Nice. Um and you said you read the Bendis Old Man Logan, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the Hulk baby wasn't anywhere anywhere in there, was it? He was in yeah, he was in the first issue because Logan is inexplicably living with like another person, and it's like it's uh, I can't remember who it is. It's some woman. Um, I don't. The issues are in a long box, so I can't go dig it up. But he basically tells her like, "You watch Baby Hulk while I go try to figure out where this Ultron head came from." Oh, okay. So I guess if this is presumably the same old man Logan that came from 
Battle World, which he hasn't brought up Battle World at all. Right. Well, he seems like, he, I mean, it kind of got brought up in the first issue <clears throat> that he, like, only remembers basically the events of Old Man Logan. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I know select characters like Miles Morales remembers Battle World. So some characters that may have been from alternate worlds that have been carried over. Like, he's obviously from an alternate future timeline, but doesn't have the memory of Battle World, which probably would add a lot of context to his problems if he knew uh-huh. he understood. But, I mean, as the second issue goes, like, it it plays into that inevitability factor of, like, where is this story really going to... What is this story ultimately going to accomplish? Besides, which isn't a bad thing, but besides just being an entertaining old Logan run, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we've kind of talked about, you know, what's the staying power of this character? Who knows? Um... Even though he's also doing things off uh, in in another book as well, which they probably haven't mentioned any of his revenge mission in that book. But what are you going to do? Uh, I'm also stalling for time. Uh, Danielle Cage is who he was living with. Oh, okay. Luke Cage is uh, Jessica Jones' daughter. Yeah, yeah. I thought her name was Danielle. It but, is Danielle. Well, yes. After Daniel Rand. Oh really? Yeah. Uh, I, 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 it just dawned on me that they named uh, their kid Scotty in Old Man Logan. Yeah, after not Scotty Sc- and Jean. Scotty kind of be weird if they're brother and sister. Scotty and Jade. And Jade. Is that a reference to Jade Mara? <laughs> Star Wars? <laughs> Maybe. Mm-hmm. No. Um, I don't know. I don't know where the name Jade came from. I don't know. But yeah, old man Logan. Uh, it seems kind of a little bit like they were like, <clears throat> "Hey, this mission we sent him on might not be the main storyline, but you just have to keep reading to find out." I'm like, "Curse you!" Okay. Yeah, like, all right, we'll uh, we'll keep going. I think they're taking it in the right direction. Bendis's run was fine, but it wasn't amazing. It was trapped by Battle World. <sighs> yeah, um, it was. It was a little disjointed. I think you're right. That's a good thing to think. Like this, the story is starting off in the most obvious spot, which is if, as far as he's concerned, he was shunted backwards in time, and now he has an opportunity to change what happened for the better. Mm-hmm. And he's going to do it in the most Wolverine way possible, which is stab things. Which is funny because that's exactly what Wolverine did during Age of Ultron. So this Wolverine also lived through the Age of Ultron. He also knows how much screwing up the timeline could screw up time um yeah, but he doesn't care this one's driven by emotion yeah well the other one was too but this is obviously an older wolverine i'm just saying like if this is the same wolverine he's been through it before yeah does wolverine ever learn no he doesn't so it makes total sense yeah um but i do i do agree that like there could be a bigger story that hasn't been revealed yet because this is ob- the most obvious place to start it like obviously he's going to seek revenge and try and prevent his timing from happening. But there's probably some twist that we can't see yet that's going to turn the whole story on its head and send him off in a completely different direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that is... Uh, we talked about a lot of comics there today. Which so, is good for a good old time, podcast. Right? Considering it's what we're talking about. Uh, and, you know, in talking about all these comics, just really... You boys aren't nerds, are you? Yes, yes, we are. It's very unfortunate. 
<sighs> well, we can't really do the news until the arrival of Spider-Man and his amazing friend. Who, who did just happen to, to stop by and provide us with, with a whole big pile of news. We love it, the news. We need it. Well, as we had sort of hinted at earlier, <sighs> after Batman 51, Scott Snyder will no longer be the writer of Batman. Will no longer be the very best. That I don't know how to make that song work. Um, Snyder wrote on Twitter, uh, I've been delaying writing the last pages of Batman 51, my final issue on the series, and last comic with Greg Capullo for six months. <sighs> the pain. Yeah. Now we know that Snyder is going somewhere else in uh, in. DC. We don't know where though. He's still, he's still in an, well. He's he's doing the in-house writer program for them. He's the head of that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think um, he's leaving DC anytime no, soon. And, but and you know, there's like lots of rumors that he's going to, to Detective Comics, which maybe uh, he's going off of Batman because it's going to start double shipping and he doesn't want to skimp on the quality, which I completely entirely respect if that is indeed the case. Uh, all stuff has has yet to be seen, but it is really sad that he's. You know, we we knew it was coming, but it's still sad. It's certainly the end of an era, and that's where to tie back in with our Batman conversation from number forty nine was. You know, if he if he goes over Detective Comics, maybe he continues telling like the Jim Gordon story. Uh-huh. If he doesn't, like, I mean, I don't want to say that working on Detective Comics is a step down. It's it's almost like if. If Batman's supposed to be the main book and Snyder is no longer working on the flagship title, then will his st- like I wouldn't want the people that are taking over Batman to supposedly be the flagship title, but things are still being directed by Snyder's work. Uh huh. Not saying that Snyder's work should like should or could or whatever not you know direct the, the storylines, but uh, I feel like if you're going to be working on Detective Comics, it has to be its own beat, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um. And I and I don't want to say it's a step down from him, but if he he's been writing the flagship book, you know he obviously could have more Batman stories in him. But it feels like maybe instead of if and if he does, if he even does, if he does jump to Detective Comics, it feels like a step back for him. Well, that's actually where he started. I'm just saying, I'm thinking more. Maybe he should take a break from Batman and come back to it. And he and he very well could, uh, you know, take six months off, go do something else, and then hop back on a Bat book in six months with Capullo. You know, I think would be pretty awesome. Uh, or maybe the two of them will get on Wonder Woman. God, we can only hope. Um, it, it sort of reminds me of, you know, when, when Grant Morrison was writing Batman and then suddenly he was off Batman, but he went over and started doing Batman and Robin. And that really kind of became the main Batman book for a time mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, if you really wanted to get like, yeah, like Batman was still going on and there were still Batman stories. Uh, but if you want to know like what's going on with the bigger narrative, that's where you were looking. And, you know, we still don't know how rebirth is going to shake out uh, what that's going to mean. Um, for all of this, you know, for for the Batman and the Bat books. Uh, so really, you know, it, it's just so much speculation at this point. Uh, really going to be sad to see him go. Um, it would almost be cool if instead of, I mean, you could do it in Detective Comics, if he did a Batman and, like, Lark book, and it was Jim Gordon Batman teaming up with um, Duke Thomas. Yeah. Our character. 
Yeah, I guess I was going to say, like, what's going on with Duke Thomas? And then I remembered that We Are Robin is a thing. He's, he's in We Are Robin. But, I mean, supposedly he at some point will um, become the Lark, which I know is supposed to be, like, Blue Bird blue, blue blue Lark. Board. Oh, it's almost like Blue Bird. It's almost like whatever Bookstack goes to, if he continues, because he's obviously invested a lot of, like, new concepts and characters into the Batman-verse, you know, and other writers might take over for him. Like, supposedly Tom King's the favorite to take over Batman, which actually I think would be really cool. Um, oh, man, it'd be so great. We'll t- like, we'll finally get Batman and Speedos. And, just, uh, all the villains checking out his butt. Yeah, and that's how um, they're all going to recognize him. It's going to figure out he's Bruce Wayne. It's from like, the butt. Have you seen that? You can't, you yeah. can't trust your butt around that guy. Have you seen that ass? Like, <laughs> but no, we all know that Bruce Wayne probably wears, like, like butt in, implants. Yeah, like a butt mold pants. just to throw off any yeah. people that are like able to track by butts. Right, because like they, it's the it's that villain that like ah, I've tricked Batman into sitting into this chair, and the chair was full of mold for his buttocks. And I will get industrious billionaire Bruce Wayne to also sit in the chair, and I will finally have my proof. Oh, why can't Bruce Wayne get comfortable in that chair? Ah, oh, my plan is foiled. Away, and then he get, goes back to the nineteen forties. <laughs> oh man that would be great uh, I almost like whatever book he takes over if it stays in the Batman universe I'd almost want it to be a book that like he's just like plays with his own concepts so it, and, you know like it actually won't be Batman it will be Jim Bat as Batman uh-huh. it'll be uh, Bluebird will be in it Lark will be in it um, whatever like very Snyderish concepts he introduced in his run that he hasn't maybe fully explored yet get explored in this book He's gonna, and then all the other books can just be like the typical Batman and his usual cast of characters. He's going to create a character, um, a villain that's gonna. There's gonna be a six, uh, six issue mini in that six months that Capullo's off doing whatever he's doing, uh, in which the villain, uh, whose name is Speeches, will emerge in Gotham, and he will have the ability to talk everybody, uh, like into incapacitation. Uh, with very long-winded and powerful speeches. Please, please stop! I can't. I can't. They'll go on. They'll go on for hours. And he'll talk about look how the city. This city is our city, and we're gonna take this city back. And this city is inside all of us. And city, city, city. <laughs> no, uh, I'll tell you anything. <laughs> uh, but that's that's uh, exactly what's going to happen. You all heard it here first. Uh, and of course, with Rebirth coming, there's going to be other shakedowns. Uh, we found out that Van Jensen, who is the co-writer of The Flash, uh, will be d- departing from that book. Could be. I mean, I guess he's been writing it for a few a or for two years now. So it could be like, hey, you know, his time is just up. He's you know, he's co-writing. He's not the main writer. Uh, we still don't know what Vendetti's going to do. Um, or it could just be, hey, Rebirth is really shaking everything up, and I actually, I would, you know, I, I want a team on Flash to pull me over there. Yeah, I want. Flash, we, we're so invested in the show, like, right? I want. I, I just, I haven't had the, the the interest. Like nothing against Venditti or Man Jensen. Like I just, I wasn't feeling their Flash couldn't get into. I wasn't really getting into Flash. Even with Manipool, like Manipool's art was fantastic, right. but I still wasn't feeling it. Um, yeah, I've read some cool Flash stories, and I'm like, I really want to get to know this character, but it's just not. Yeah, no, nobody over there has been pulling me. But then 
I mentioned to you, like, I think it was this morning that like Grant Morrison a couple of years ago had expressed interest in writing a, a long flash run. Is this before and, or after he was like, I'm done with superhero books for a while. I don't know. It was in 2014. Even, so around the same time, even though like he said that and now he's like, I'm going to keep doing multiversity books. Yeah. Which I think one of the multiversity books is, is a, a flash, flash book. book so yeah. That might scratch that itch, but it would still be cool if he, if he was, I just want him. I, I mean, the guy's totally welcome to, you know, do whatever it is he wants to do. I have no control over that, but I do. There's something comforting, but always exciting when Grant Morrison's just like tackling a long run. Like he has something yeah. meaningful to say about a superhero character. Grant, Grant Morrison could bust into the DC office tomorrow. And, you know, like I imagine when this happens, like the doors just swing open. Like he doesn't touch them. They just swing open. There's like a haze of purple smoke and like a laser light show going on behind him. And he just like floats in, you know, looking up towards the ceiling slightly, the light gleaming off of his bald head. And then he just looks down and he's like, I would like to start writing. I can't think of an obscure DC character fast enough. But he could just be like, yeah, I would like to start writing Wonder Woman. That guy with the bullhead. Right. Uh, seriously, you think that I would know more? Like, he could be like, I just want to, I, I would like to start writing Martian Manhunter. And they'd be like, fire the writer of Martian Manhunter. Like, kill him if you have to. <laughs> and then Grant Morrison would then float back, back out into the haze of smoke and the doors would close. And then like a couple months later, scripts would just appear at the DC office. I'd be like, oh my gosh, yeah. Do you think that Grant Morrison sleeps on a bed in the shape of his own head? I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but I definitely think he does. He very well might, just, you know, for, like, the chi feng shui aspect of it all. Yeah. Um, so, definitely, I think in the next couple of months, we're going to hear a lot more about uh, any potential DC shakeups. It'll yeah. be curious to see, like, what the future of the Batman versus. I'm assuming... Um, we all thought Evan Shaner was going to be bright, going to be the artist on uh, Shazam, but no, he has to do Future Quest, which is pretty cool. No, I know um, that's pretty great. Um, and I feel like his, his version of Shazam, if they're going to be doing a like Shazam that's been in like Jeff Johns' Justice League books, I feel like it wouldn't be the right fit. Yeah. Um, but not to say that he couldn't make it work. Um, but. I believe Mark Doyle. I mean, things could change. Like he's been obviously a big influence at DC because of his work on the Batman books. The editor, uh, I imagine he'll be staying there. Uh, supposedly, if it is Tom King that's taking over, Tom King's obviously been a big rising star, um, and he's supposedly a friend of Scott Snyder's. So I feel like Scott Snyder's troop will probably still have a hold on Batman books. So uh -huh. even if he's not writing a Batman title, I imagine his influence will still be there indirectly. Um, so you had a news article here saying that DC superhero girls is getting a big push, but I didn't really look into the article. Why don't you explain that, David? Okay. So we, we talked about a while ago, uh, DC superhero girls is, um, this initiative of taking female superheroes and gearing them towards, you know, the young kind of, uh, you know, younger, like adolescent kid audience, um, and they announced today, everyone is teaming up for DC Superhero Girls, the multi-company, multi-platform push for girls' versions of DC's lady characters. Target will have an exclusive line of apparel and toys 
Boomerang will air a 44-minute special in the digital shorts, which I think they already have some digital shorts out. Uh, the line also claims some firsts, the first-ever 6-inch action figure designed for girls, first 12-inch collection of action dolls featuring strong athletic bodies that stand on their own in heroic poses, and first-ever action role play toys for girls. I don't know what an action role play toy is. Um, anyway, they're teaming up with Mattel uh, to make these toys and are pushing it out. Uh, it's, it's, you know, just, just like a, a really cool initiative to be like, Hey, you know, boys have, and we could get into gender here for days. You know, if, if a girl wants a Batman toy, like, yeah, get that girl a Batman toy. That's totally cool. Uh, that doesn't mean that every little girl wants a Batman toy, but maybe she wants a Wonder Woman toy, yeah. you know? And this is like, all right, cool. So we're going to make really cool Wonder Woman toys that don't have big, ridiculous breasts and, and giant hips and asses. But uh, if our little girls want, want that. ridiculously we're... big-breasted Wonder Woman action figures, they should get them. They should. Well, I mean, like, you, and you can buy, you know, action figures of Wonder Woman, but like, it's totally a little bit more geared towards a male audience, typically. Wonder Woman with karate chop and breast implant action. Oh, God, we can only hope. Um, <laughs> so, like, 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 the designs of, of these uh, heroes is... I've always really enjoyed them, and you know they're not super like we're just gonna make them like super girly and like ah uh, like Katana's still wearing armor. Uh, Supergirl's always worn a skirt, but like Wonder Woman, you know, like has pants on. It's they're not making them like super frilly. Uh, I don't know. I think it's a super cool initiative. It's it's obviously listen. This might seem controversial, but woman. And and really just diversity in general. It'd be women and and any other ethnic group besides straight white male. They're the they are the futures of comics. You might not like that. You might not like hearing that you specifically. But like I if hate we it. want the, if we Bye. want the audience to thrive, we need to tap as many uh, demographics as possible. Women of any race, gender, ethnicity, whatever you want to call it, is a huge market. And we're talking about, you know, we're talking about the girls of today turning into the comic buying adults of tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, it's great that DC is putting a lot of weight behind this because DC Super Girls is obviously going to be geared towards girls and that's okay. It's been such a male's, you know, I I don't think there's really any way. Now, if a a boy wants to play with a Barbie, like I'm of the mind, like, all right, get that boy a Barbie. I really don't care. But at the same time, from a, a marketing standpoint, I, Barbies, I don't think ever really going to make. Well, I, I guess they do have those Superman, Batman dolls <laughs> coming right, out from Barbie. So, so bizarre. In theory, like the the regular Barbie line though is never really going to be. I don't think it's ever going to like be pushed aggressively towards boys. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like superheroes are a way that just it's it simply has always been male dominated, just because it was. But I think it's the kind of genre and type of characters that there's no reason why it shouldn't be appealing to both genders. Um, so the fact that DC is creating an initiative that, while it is certainly of the mind to empower and target a young female audience, there's no reason that like a boy couldn't play with any of these girl action figures too. Mm-hmm. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. I, it'll be interesting to see what the design is. I, if they were smart, they would keep the, the designs on the box a little more gender neutral. So it's not like super pink and, and bright and frilly. So that way, if a boy did want it, it wouldn't be like weird that, you know, he wanted to get that. Um, and 
you know, I, I'm not going to be a freaking like a pop. I guess like everything I say, I'm like, I'm going to contextualize it. Of course, if it's pink and, you know, whatever, and a boy still wants it. Yeah, of course, get it for him. But that doesn't mean that like little kids aren't going to see that and still be cruel. Because little kids, guess what, are cruel. They're not accepting little bundles of joy that think that everything is wonderful all the time. Little kids are they're the, like They're young kids jerks. Are, are, I, I mean, just based on my own history of being a child, both... I suppose as a perpetrator and a victim, like, like kids are nasty little shits. They are. That's why I always think, like, I remember reading this letters page from a Young Avengers comic where someone was complaining about how, like, why are you showing, like, teenage characters, like, you know, like, implying, like, sex and stuff. And, and Karen Gillan was like, well, because teens aren't rated teen just because right. you want them to be. And not to, you like, not necessarily to equate, like, the sex stuff, but just sort of, like, the mental cruelty that kids can enact on each other. Oh, it's psychological warfare. It's mind-blowing. And you feel things, even as a child, even, like, pre-puberty, so intensely. Yeah. It makes it worse. I have so many stories of just emotionally traumatic experiences that, as an adult, I would think of it having me now, I'd be like, no, I could totally handle that. But because I was a kid when I experienced it, I'm like, man, that effed me up. Well, hard. Nick, I want you to take all those stories and shove them deep down because this is not the place for those. No, no, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta tell you at least 50 of them. Okay, well, I'm going to right start now. talking about a story that I forgot to put into the show notes, but it is important us talking about diversity here. Uh, the Dwayne McDuffie Awards for Diversity in Comics, the nominees were announced. And they are... Andre the Giant, Closer to Heaven by Brandon Easton and Dennis Meadry from IDW. Fresh Romance, edited by Janelle Asseline uh, from Rosie Press. Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur by Brandon Montclair, Amy Reeder, and Natasha Bustos from Marvel. And Miss Marvel by G. Willow Wilson and Adrian Alfana from Marvel. And Xana by Gene Baker and Joey Granger from Emmett Comics. Hmm. Uh, cool that two super, or I don't know what uh, Moon Girl and Double Dinosaur is considered a superhero book, but you know, two this books from Marvel, I suppose. Yeah. Marvel and DC. Uh, well, I mean, this you know, this tells me DC, you gotta step it up to get a little more recognition here, guys. Yeah. Uh, but no, this is a cool, uh, cool group. I've only ever read uh, Miss Marvel, but I'm actually really interested in the Andre the Giant comic. Uh, that guy was super fascinating. If you don't know anything about his life. Um, but if you're looking for some comics that feature diversity, those five are out there. So go check them out. Cool. Good good uh, promotion there. I like yeah. that. Uh, now, this is, uh, this is something that is not going to be surprising to most people, but I think it's good news that Veronica Fish is taking on the permanent artist role for Archie. Uh, have you read the latest Archie with Veronica no, Fish art? I'm behind. I think I stopped with like the Fiona Staples issues, and I haven't like caught up since. Yeah. I know you've been really enjoying it, though. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, Fiona Staples did the first three, and then everybody, you know, then they announced Annie Wu for number four, and then Veronica Fish for number five, and everybody's been like, "Wait, who's doing whatever past that?" Uh, you know, are they going to keep changing artists? But, you know, they announced that uh, Veronica Fish is going to stay on. And that's that's pretty awesome. Uh, it, you know, it, it, she kind of was emulating... What's her name? 
uh, Fiona Staples a little bit in issue five. I would like to see her get a little more comfortable in doing her own style. Not to say that she was completely trying to be Fiona Staples and everything. Um, you can just definitely see the influence. And I felt that same way with Annie Wu, uh, you know, because Fiona Staples is so hot right now. Uh, and we all knew Fiona Staples wasn't coming back to the book. Um, because I, I imagine uh, Brian K. Vaughn has her tied up somewhere and releases her only for drawing Saga and nothing else. <laughs> Uh, at least that's how I understand their abusive relationship to be. Um, I'm totally. He probably ties thinking. himself up just to be right next. To I her. think like he like yeah he handcuffs himself too. We're like ah uh-uh, you're not going anywhere until I, I write this next issue in six months. Um, but very very cool. And if you are not reading Archie, then you are stupid. Which I guess makes me stupid. Lame. Uh, yeah, they oh they also confirmed today that Jughead is asexual. Which I like because Chip Zdarsky writing him that way. Um, I mean, I I obviously have not like. There's been a shit ton of Archie comics that have come out over the decades. Uh-huh. I can't think of any instances, and a, a super Archie fan can totally prove me wrong, of where like Jughead has expressed any interest in a male or female, um, and and anyone's like ever really acted on it with Jughead. Right. Yeah. No, you don't really know Jughead's big romances, which I'm sure there probably were some back in the day, but nothing recent. And a lot of people were like, Oh, Jughead could be gay. And Chip Zdarsky like confirmed on Twitter that, you know, he's been writing him fairly asexually, but I guess there was even like a comment in the latest issue that, people at large view him as asexual and Chip Zdarsky is not leaning one way or the one other. Or the on other. It. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, to actually sort of label him as asexual, not, and I'm not a big fan of labels, but, um, and not to frame it as like that, like gay character, like making a character gay is like the hot new thing. Like it there can, definitely needs to be gay characters, be. compelling, good gay characters. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. One thing you, I mean, there's a lot of different sexualities out there, and I actually like that asexuality, which is not often explored. The idea of someone that simply takes no uh, stock or value in pursuing romantic and potentially sexual um, relationships is a pretty fascinating character that you don't get to see in mainstream media. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, don't have any strong, you know, feelings towards Jughead. So if I somehow did have a problem with it, it's not a character I care about enough to bitch about. Nick, your your attraction to Jughead is completely unfounded. Like Jughead, I am burger sexual. Because that <laughs> dude will eat burgers like whoa. Yeah, yeah, just the comment someone makes. Look, there are only like five gay guys at Riverdale High. My romantic options can't take that kind of a hit. You just can't take. You just don't get it because you're asexual, and they don't really harp on that anymore. Or talk about it, which I thought was totally good. Like, let's not spend an entire issue going on about that. It's just, as far as anyone's concerned, like we're not going to have a romantic relationship in the Jughead book. Mm-hmm. Neat. I really enjoy they're getting a lot of female artistic talent in the Archie universe right now. Uh, it's very cool. It is cool. Nick, our last news story. Why don't you go ahead? Drop it on us. Deadpool 2 already greenlit. Yes. That happened. The hard R superhero movie that they are pestering us nonstop with ads uh, has already received the go-ahead for a sequel. Whether or not it happens, 
we will, you know, remains to see how the movie actually does in the box office. Uh, but no one is surprised by a superhero movie getting a sequel. Nope. I mean, people would be surprised if Fantastic Four got a sequel. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be surprised if uh, Pacific Rim gets a sequel. Yeah. Just to make more things sad. This sad. Uh, it, it'll be it'll be very interesting uh, to see how this weekend goes, and you know we'll we'll dive into Deadpool next week, give our thoughts on it. Um, man, some ooh. Richard Roper of Chicago Sun-Times, if only Deadpool was as clever, dark, and funny as it believes itself to be. I'm trying to go in with low expectations and and just enjoy the ride. I'm going in with low expectations, but not like low in the sense that I expect it to be bad, because I'm pretty impressed with what I've seen so far. Yeah. But at the same time, like Deadpool is a very particular character, and I, I don't want to assume what uh, you said Richard Roper, yeah. what his comfort level is or knowledge or understanding of the character is. But Deadpool is the kind of character that is that thinks he's more clever than he actually is. So that could play to the movie. As far as being a character study, that could play to the movie's strength. Like that could be part of like that could be one of the points of the movie is that he, you know, isn't as funny as he thinks he is, but that's somehow what makes it funny. But yeah. obviously, I'm not expecting everyone to like it. No, 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 and not everybody likes all the things all the time. Um, that you know, people were saying back when it had like 12 reviews, and they were all 100. percent People were like, "Oh my god, everyone loves Deadpool." It's like, no, those are the reviews that Disney is allowing to get out early mm-hmm. because they're not building Disney is like Fox the, or Fox. Well, still, okay, yeah, like Fox is still all the same. Like they, they're gonna, they all, they all do it. All yeah, yeah, uh, like. They're they're gonna hold screenings, and it's like if you're if you're gonna be super positive on us, we will you know take your comments. Um, I remember a while ago this interview talking with a, a critic, and it was when that John Carter movie was coming out, and they went into like super depth. Like the way they do these screeners uh, is that they get everybody in this location, and it's not like oh just come to you know the Paramount lot. And, you know, we'll show you the movie on a screen. It's like they will take them to exotic locations, uh, like places that kind of deal with, you know, the aesthetic of the movie. And they'll have, like, really nice food, really nice drinks. They'll really, like, wine and dine them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then after that, they ask them for, like, you know, write down your thoughts on a piece of paper, which is where movie poster quotes come from or, like, the lines in, in, uh, like, the trailers that are, like, you know, people are calling it a nonstop thrill ride. And then, like, it says the critic. It's like that's where those are, are coming from because they, they talked about how the thing they used in the uh, in the John Carter trailers was the first blockbuster of the summer, which, if you think about that statement, is not praising the movie at all. It's yeah. just saying it's the first big-budget movie coming out that year. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they do like to... Uh clip and paste uh, statements to get what they want. It's always like dot, dot, dot. Right. Excellent. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, they could have been saying like, well, the food they provided was excellent. (laughs) It was an excellent piece of shit. Right. Or I've taken shits more excellent. Uh, Today's episode brought to you by the word shit (laughs) that we have decided to use liberally. 
liberal shits. Um, ah, uh, 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 just kidding. <laughs> but um, David, Nick, getting to that point. We are getting to that point where one of us will be voted off the podcast. Yes, and it'll be you because I actually have a recommendation. I have a recommendation as well. Uh, I bet it's something we talked about earlier in the show. Oh, I bet it's not. Oh, I'm okay with being proven wrong. Okay, I'm... well, go ahead and give us your recommendation then, Mr. Mr. Stupid Face. Anyway, it is, uh, it's actually a manga. Um, oh, get the uh, hell out. Shut up. It's basically a comic. If it is a comic. It's if, it's just bleach, if, it's, if it's Bleach, I'm going to punch you in the gonads. It's a scandal to manga. I'm still <laughs> punching you in the gonads. Uh, man, but how awesome would that be? It would be awesome. Um, so this ma- manga is... It takes place uh, in a high school. Go ahead. What? The scandal manga would take place in a high school. It would be like the class president and stuff. Anyway. Oh, that's actually... i got to write that down. <laughs> no! What am I um, Hold on. I just want to make sure I got the... Uh, the writer's correct. Come on. Come Ooh, on. You're going to pronounce Japanese names. I'm excited. Shut up. Uh, Platt. So, no. I got it on. So, long story short, I got it on um, Comixology. It was 99 cents. Chapter comes out every month. And it's like like 65 to 71 pages of art for 99 cents once a month. That's pretty cool. Um, uh, so, it's called Platinum Inn. It's by. Platinum the, Inn? Platinum N. It's by Sugumi Oba and Takeshi Obata, who are actually the creators of Death Note. Oh. And oh. I I did watch some Death Note. Uh, I maybe watched it the first twelve episodes. I didn't read the manga. Um and you know, I did I did like what I watched. I think it's compelling. Like the the philosophies and the the moral quandaries and all that are really interesting. Um and this actually I, I ended up like reading someone's review of Platinum Inn. Uh, and they basically was like, hey, look at all these similarities between Death Note and Platinum Inn. So for being that I wasn't too invested in Death Note, I don't necessarily feel like I'm getting a repeat story. Um, they, these are both, they're both supernatural tales. So in Platinum Inn, the, uh, the main character, Mirai, is basically on, he basically goes to commit suicide because his life sucks. Uh, he basically has a Harry Potter type story. His parents get killed. Um, and he gets taken in by his uncle and aunt who are just like atrociously awful people and treat him like crap. Uh, and basically he was, he was graduating from middle school. And I guess at that point, I'm assuming something involving like the Japanese education system. Like instead of him going on to high school, his, his, uh, uh, aunt and uncle were going to make him like get work and just make more money for them. Um, so he's just like, yeah, no, I'm done. Like my life has sucked in like for the last several years. So he goes to kill himself. Before he hits the ground, he gets caught by an angel. Hmm. And the angel is basically like, I'm your guardian angel, uh, and I'm here to make you happy. Um, I'm going to give you these, like, basically these choices. And then you kind of find out as, as, like, the first few chapters go on that there's different ranks of angels. And he has a, what they call a special rank angel. So she gets to offer him different abilities that you'll find out that other angels can't, some other angels can't offer other people in similar situations. Mm -hmm. So basically he was offered wings to fly so that he'd have the freedom to go wherever he wanted. Uh, and like no one else would see them, but he, you know, he'd see them and he would fly and he could go super fast and all that. That's cool. Uh, and then he also could be offered these, um, basically they're called arrows. So think of like Cupid's arrows. He could get one or the other. He could either get, um, 
red arrows, which makes anyone that he shoots them with fall in love with him and basically do whatever he wants. Or he get white arrows and it like kills you dead instantly. So kind of like a death note thing. Hmm. Um, so he's basically like, I don't know what I'm going to choose. Like, I'm going to choose neither. I just want to die. And she's like, all right, you know what? I'm just going to give you all of them. Um, so he gets the wings and he gets the red arrows and he gets the, the white arrows. Story continues. Stuff happens with his aunt, uncle. It gets kind of crazy. The artwork is really, really good. I mean, like I, I remember like looking through some Death Note mangas, and it sounds like the artist has like really upped his game for this one. So there's some really cool establishing shots, some cool action beats. Um, so visually, it's definitely worth a read through. Um, so what's basically happened though is that God has decided to retire. Hmm. He's going to retire in 999 days. Um, so what he's to, to, to choose his successor, he's choosing from 13 humans and he's sent 13 angels of various ranks down to earth to find these candidates. Um, and basically whoever, I guess, whichever candidate is left standing, so to speak, will become God, will become the new God. Um, some candidates don't necessarily like one candidate basically just uses his powers to kind of sleep with whatever woman he wants. Other candidates use the powers to become quote unquote superheroes and basically threaten to kill all the other ones so that they can be the one God. That's basically a lot of stuff that happens in the first, which I don't necessarily want to go beat by beat with the story, which I tend to do. Yep. Um, <laughs> done a couple times. Just a couple times, but it's, it's a cool story. It definitely, I wasn't, it was really kind of like an impulse buy and I just like was reading through it and I was like, well, art's cool. The story's really interesting. Uh, and I guess that's all I really care about. So if you like manga, if you enjoy Death Note, uh, you'd probably like Platinum End. Interesting. Uh, I haven't read a manga in so long. I will one day finish Naruto purely because I think I'm contractually obligated. <laughs> Uh, my recommendation this week is not something we talked about earlier today. It is, in fact, a movie I watched over the weekend. Knew it wasn't a comic. Uh, it's very comic-related. That is Justice League, Gods, and Monsters. For those who... In which there are comics of it. All right, you jerk. Uh, for those who are not aware of this movie, uh, who have been apparently living under a, a comic rock. It is an alternate DC universe in which uh, Superman is the son of Zod and was raised by illegal immigrants. Uh, Batman is not Bruce Wayne. It is Kirk Langstrom, who is vampire Batman. And Wonder Woman is Rebecca, one of, or that's Rebecca, right? Her name wasn't Rebecca. She was from the New Gods. Right, she's one of the New Gods. Oh, man. Uh, just the Gods and Monsters. It's going to drive me crazy if I don't remember her name. Anyway, it is, uh, it's Becca. It's just Becca. Becca, yeah. Uh, she was going to be married to Darkseid's son, Orion. Anyway, these are not your typical, you know, Holy Trinity and they uh, have a very different way of saving the day, which is usually very bloody and very violent. And in this story, they end up getting framed for some very high-profile murders. 
and it and through it they sort of become more akin to their more traditional hero counterparts. It's a very cool story. Uh, it, it got a lot of praise. I think very deservedly so. Um, it's it's in the Bruce Tim uh, art style, art style, which. It's really cool, and also I want to make sure it's Bruce Tim for some reason. I thought that I was also getting that name wrong. It is Bruce uh, Tim. Yeah, and, and so it's you know it's like the Batman animated series, the the Adventures of Superman sort of style, uh, which is kind of odd considering how violent and bloody this book is, and in some parts sexual, which is odd. Uh, they're not like. You know they're not afraid to get close to. I, I don't know what it was rated, but it was probably starting to get towards R in some parts. Um, it, it's a really cool story. It's a world that I want to know more about, and I know they're going to do more in it. And I'm really excited to dig into that because I I, I want to see how people like uh, like Barry Allen would react. We don't know where Bruce Wayne from the stuff that I've read, like Bruce Wayne hasn't really been mentioned in this universe. Like he's presumably still out there. Uh, Diane is still out there. There's probably, there's people like Hal Jordan are still out there. Like how would they, if they get imbued with power, uh, who would they be? Or is it going to be like Eobard Thawne is somehow here. And now here's the reverse flash is like a weird, evil anti-hero. Uh, there's just a lot of really cool potential for the story. Um, the voice cast is really good. Mostly, uh, you have Benjamin Bratt doing the voice of uh, of Superman, uh, of Herman Guerra slash Superman, uh, Michael C. Hall, Dexter as Kirk Langstrom. Uh, you have Paget Brewster as Lois Lane, Jason Isaacs as Lex Luthor. Um, some really, really high-quality people in this, and, and a lot of really great voice actors as well. Uh it's not all perfect, but you know, not all, not everyone here is a voice actor. And those that aren't, you know, to like Benjamin Bratt and Michael C. Hall, who don't have a ton of voice acting experience, do a really, really good job. Uh, and like I said, I'm, I'm really excited to uh, to get more of this world to see where this goes. I'm hoping that we get a, a, at least one more movie. I know we're getting more digital shorts, but I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Anyway, Justice League Gods and Monsters, do yourself a big favor and watch it now. Watch it now. Uh, and that is our show. Nick, anything else you want to you wanna mention? Anything else you want to say? Uh, nope. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Uh, if you want to find out more about the show, then go on over to heckyeahcomics.com. You can also email us with any of your thoughts, uh, any recommendations of your own for us to heckyeahcomics at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at heckyeahcomics. You can follow me on Twitter at davluz, and you can find Nick uh, just praying and hoping that nobody has job notices that he's there and thus can't fire him. Uh, as always, if you enjoyed the show, then please tell your friends. And if you hated it, then please tell your enemies. Until next time, goodbye.
episode ever.